Teaching Journey Podcast acknowledges the traditional custodian of the country and pay our respects to the elders past and emerging and recognizes their continuing connections to the land, waterways and community. Always was, always will be Aboriginal land. Hi all, I'm Dee and you are listening to Teaching Journey Podcast, Connecting Through Early Education. In this episode, I had a chat with Hakia Hasler. She's a teacher working in remote community and has co-written books, co-curated the remote teacher website of resources for teachers who work or is about to work in remote communities. There are so many quotes that I can pick up from our conversation, but one thing that really struck to me is this. She said, Sometimes we don't realize that we have a story in us and through the connection and collaboration that we do with others that we do have something worthwhile sharing. For me personally and even now I still struggle to find a voice. I always think that my stories and journey is so uninspiring and unrelatable and it's not worth mentioning. I sometimes catch myself putting myself in the sideline because I think that my story or opinion is not worth sharing. Which is such an irony because the whole point of this teaching journey podcast is to break that very stigma. I am still working through the fears and doubts and worries that I have by listening and leaning into the imposter. But I now know that rather than letting it consume me and limiting opportunities, I reach out to people that I feel comfortable and have the connection with to recharge or run through the ideas in my head, just as Hakia mentioned. I find people who really listens and gets excited with new ideas and most importantly embrace the failure and will cheer me on through the journey. And as cheesy as it sounds, each step in our journey is our worthwhile stories to share. And I think when we start believing that we have a story worthwhile to tell, we start to believe the value in it and we'll start to believe that we can do the unimaginable things possible. Hakia didn't think that she would work in a remote community, and she did, and loved it. She didn't think that she would write a book as she was behind in her writing till grade 3. And now, she's an award-winning author. If we value our own stories, then we value ourselves to grow and make an impact in change. So I hope you'll be inspired by Hakia's storytelling. So here it is, episode 15 with Hakia Hustler. Enjoy. I'd like to start today's recording with acknowledging the traditional owners of the Kulin Nations. I'm currently on Bulebeki land in Warunjurin country. Um, Hakea, which country are you currently on at the moment? I'm over on Bunjalung land in Northern Rivers, New South Wales. Beautiful. Um, so welcome Hakea to the Teaching Journey podcast. Uh, just to introduce you to our listeners, you are an award-winning author of a co-written book with Carl Marison, including Black Cacatoo, My Deadly Boots, Tracks of the Missing. You're also the co-owner of the Remote Teacher website, where both you and Carl create resources to support teachers in remote community. And you have a blog, uh, the Remote Teaching Podcast, social media platforms, and you also offer professional development trainings for teachers who are working in remote communities. Um, and I'll pop all those links in our show notes. So you're doing a lot of work, um, advocacy work for remote uh, teachers. So that's amazing um but before we get into all the work that you are doing at the moment 
Tell us a bit about yourself, the beginnings of your teaching journey before teaching remotely. Sure. So I studied my P to 12 Bachelor of Education over in Victoria University in Footscray. Uh, when I first started, I thought I was going to be a primary school teacher in Geelong forever. I never imagined any adventures beyond it. I thought I'd have my own little class and, you know, I thought I'd be teaching kids of kids and doing that whole one school forever thing. But when I was at Victoria University, uh, Laurie Mann from the Swirl program, which is story writing in remote locations, offered for pre-service teachers and youth workers to go and do month-long intensives in remote outback communities. So I had the opportunity to go and visit Papanya and Arionga in the Northern Territory as part of my teaching degree. And I loved that so much that I did it three times in a row across my eye-opening and raised this awareness for me that I didn't really have in my sheltered middle-class Geelong life. And I began to see the opportunities that there were for teachers to push beyond their comfort zone. So that was pretty exciting for me. And then when I graduated, I applied for a scholarship to go to a hard-to-staff rural school about an hour south of Perth and that was kind of like my little safety zone. I, I got my push from my hometown. I got to do a little bit of adventuring. I got to work in an area of high need. They needed staff out there but it wasn't yet that remote jump and that allowed me to consolidate my skills, make lots of friends and also feel what it was like to be an independent young person without my security blanket around me. So that was pretty amazing, but my sister had a son in the meantime and I missed family and that's a common thread for rural and remote teachers that things happen back home and so I moved back and stayed there for uh, two years in a high school there before taking the jump to finally end up out in a remote outback community working there and across my career working between marine I've had the opportunity to work the full scale. So I've worked from primary um, kindergarten all the way up to year 12 English. So it's been an interesting ride and a um, diverse kind of career where I've had the opportunity to work in lots of different spaces. So yeah. I think that's me. <laughs> yeah. And so how many years is all of this? How long have you been in the I've been a teacher sector? for 15 years now. Wow, that's amazing. Yeah. And so, in you know, obviously you've worked in, you know, a, a city uh, school and a remote school. What are the differences between the two settings? Yeah. Um, I think mainstream is where a lot of us spend our time doing our pracs. And that's the context that we grew up in. So we have an understanding of that context. And a lot of our university subjects kind of link in really well to understanding the mainstream context. But remote is a lot different. So you're instantly in a different situation where there are ESLD students, students from a different cultural background than our own. There are students with this big range of diversity. So you have some students that are I was working in a year nine class, for example, and I had students who were pre-literate. They could not identify letters, but I also had some that were above standard. So this huge range was there as well. Different learning styles, different understanding of community, different perspectives of the world. So remote 
is a lot different, but I think that's where the value lies, that it's this huge opportunity for us as teachers to upskill, to experience the world, to support learners from diverse backgrounds. And it's we give and receive in equal amounts that we are also learning. We're lifelong learners when we go out there. So I think um, both of them have huge benefits. I love working in mainstream, but I also have this passion for remote education. And for any listeners out there, I think the differences are big, but that's one of the things that we try and impart through the remote teacher and the work we do there, that we try and make people who are heading out to remote communities aware of the differences, mm. aware of the challenges and aware of the opportunities so that they step into it prepared, that they have these strategies in their back of their heads. They know like the culture shock or the homesickness or the isolation that they'll feel and then they've got strategies to overcome it. So rural and remote and mainstream are, are very different. Yeah. yeah. And so you talk a little bit about, you know, the isolation and the cultural shock. What are the, some of the things in your experience, your personal experience, that first, perhaps the first year of teaching in remote, you know, community, what was the challenges <laughs> or, or the learnings that you have undertaken? Yeah. Sure, Dee. Um, so I had done Swirl for three years in a row. So I'd been for a month-long immersion project working on, um, we'd run holiday activities with kids and then write stories about it. So I thought I had an understanding of remote education. I'd also been teaching for four years in rural, hard to staff and mainstream schools. So I, and I've been looking at like leadership opportunities. I've been delivering PDs. I kind of thought I had this teaching thing down pat. And then I arrived remote and I remember stepping off the aeroplane and just being hit by this big gust of uh, wind that was like you were holding a hairdryer to my face. And all the swirl experiences that I'd had had been during winter in the desert. Mm. So it, even though it's hot out there, it's very cold a lot of the time in, in those kind of um, places that I was. So instantly I realised, oh, this isn't quite the same as what I have experienced. And then when I arrived down in Halls Creek District High School, um, my first week I had children climbing out the windows and children from other classes climbing on the roofs running around and I had a pencil box thrown at me and all of a sudden I realised that each classroom, each community, each student is different. And my previous experience as well, they'd prepared me certain ways, hadn't taught me about fetal alcohol spectrum disorder. They hadn't taught me about otitis media. They hadn't taught me about trauma and trauma-informed teaching. And you don't know what you don't know. So mm. I'd never thought to ask. I'd mm. never thought to do my own research about it. And when I'd first been chosen to go and work up in Halls Creek, I'd spent the whole school holidays Googling and researching and going into the library. Like I, I really like to be prepared and yet you don't know what you're trying to prepare yourself for until you're there back then. And that was the gap that we wanted to fill with the remote teacher because I felt completely overwhelmed. I spent weekends upon weekends upon weekends in that school, in the classroom, preparing for my students because they had a high range of needs, but they also had this high range of academic abilities and so I was differentiating everything and trying to make it culturally appropriate and trying to make sure I was engaging students but I didn't know who was going to be there the next week because we had high truancy and transiency so it was just this big ginormous learning curve and add to that the fact that everyone but one staff member in my team the high school team at the time had um been a new staff member. So the turnover there was very high. 
And so we were all in this learning together, friendships forged in fire. But in that first year, I didn't so much experience the homesickness. It was when family members became elderly or um, had illness or my sister had her next baby that I kind of felt that I missed out on some things. I missed out on 21sts and 18ths and weddings and those kind of things that kind of hit home a little bit more. But again, that's something that we talk about, like that you can plan for these things and get leave in advance, that you can make sure that you're doing your Skype phone calls with family, that you're having dinner together over a Skype, all these different ways to address those. But for me, it was just a big, quick learning curve. And as much as it was a challenge, I look back on it and really fondly because it showed my resilience. I was upskilled really quickly. I very quickly learned how to support the kids that were trying to climb out the window. I made friends and learned to work with my Aboriginal education officer friends and my teammates to make sure we were delivering the best for our students. So, um, yeah, it was big. And I think it will be big for your listeners if they decide to go, but worthwhile. I feel a better teacher for it. I take that back to my mainstream classrooms and my casual. I've taken it to my kindergarten classrooms. It helps shape you. Yeah, definitely. And, you know, I mean, that's a lot. That's a huge challenge <laughs> to undertake within a year. Um and also, like, you know, have you considered, like, hang on, this is not for me. Like, I want to go home. I want to hop on the plane and just go home. <laughs> were there any moments like that? And when those are the moments, like, what were the strategies that you had to undertake to, you know, come out from that? Yeah. Yeah. So if I had of, I wouldn't have been alone. I was in a school where we literally had teachers come for one day, literally, and leave. I was in a school where we had people leave after a term. The average stay of remote outback teachers is nine months, so that's less than a school year. Mm. And the turnover is 60% each year. So you can imagine that. I wasn't one of those statistics, thankfully, and some of the strategies that I used to avoid wanting to go home was I had that group around me. And one of the things that I learned early in university is to be kind and form relationships with everyone. So I was talking to gardeners, you know, the people in the front office, you know, the canteen staff. You work really closely with your Aboriginal education officer and your team became your team. And I know this isn't the experience for everyone in schools around Australia and especially not remotes. And that there are personality clashes or clashes with our teaching philosophies. But I was lucky in the sense that I found a group of supportive people who helped me through it. And we were all in it together. We were all first years out there. And I think the other strategies was there that I had a little bit of a challenging upbringing myself. I spent some time in foster care. So I had developed an empathy for what children were going through. And there is a little bit of a, a balancing act about this idea in that I wouldn't necessarily suggest people with unhealed personal trauma to head out into the outback without psych supports and counselling supports and family supports and friends supports. But when you've worked through your own traumas and when you've learned for those traumas and you've got the strategies around those traumas, then you become this empathetic person. You become this person with strategies to share. You become someone who can kind of talk young people through some of the challenges that they face. So I feel like I had the ability to connect and to understand that this behaviour wasn't 
addressed at me that some of the children in the school had intergenerational trauma, others personal trauma, others hadn't been at school enough or had had this rotating doors of teachers that never formed a proper attachment with teachers. So when you take away it's their throwing pencil tins at me <laughs> in that first week, it wasn't always pencil tins, often it was beautiful. Um, then you can look at it objectively. I think that really helped me. And I'm really mindful in our discussions today, Dee, to point out that not every remote community is the same and I'm not stereotyping or generalising Aboriginal education, remote education or Aboriginal students as young people who have trauma or these different types of things. But there is a high prevalence of some of these in remote outback communities and having the strategies to overcome kind of helped along the way yeah most definitely and also like you know put aside remote teaching or mainstream you know space you know behaviors Mm. challenging behaviors is what we encounter as teachers every day you know i have been you know thrown a a block at me so and you know and that's in a you know in the city uh you know in melbourne um uh, center and so it really doesn't really matter which context you're in the reality of that is that there are challenges when it comes to teaching uh young people um and so you know it's uh, but what you've also uh, spoken about and really really well is about how comfortable of you to unpack all of that within yourself and if you have the ability to do that and to really empathize from where these children have gone through their journey and to really put aside your personal opinions and just be with the children I think that makes a huge difference as a teacher yeah. And it's definitely yeah. not an easy process to go through. And, yeah. uh, you know, and I think, you know, for a lot of people, like, I think that's one of the hardest things for us to go through as well. So, yeah. Yes. Yeah, definitely. And for listeners, Dee, I think it's that, that importance of just taking a breath, mm. taking a small step back from these high uh, tension situations with our students. And I have a little mantra in my head that this too shall pass or I am the calm in their storm. So when things are getting a little bit heated or challenging behaviour in early childhood classrooms all the way up to high school classrooms, take a breath, a step back, and remember whatever your mantra is, I am the calm in their storm, and that helps you then deal with those challenging yep. situations. I like that, I'm the calm in your storm, so that's great. Mm. Yeah, fantastic. So what are the, I guess, self-help skills or strategies um, that you have you know you spoke about you know making those connections with people in the community but also touching base with your family uh, through zoom or whatever means of media and I think we're lucky in this uh, modern age that you know phone is so accessible very very lucky but what are the you know self um, help uh, strategies that you have yeah so when I was younger, walking on the beach was my thing. I would spend hours walking on the beach and collecting bits and pieces and finding, like, I even found the skull of a shark one time. And I'm not sure how because I'm pretty sure they don't have you know, the same skulls as I but, but whatever it was, I found this really interesting artifact. And so just connecting with nature that way was my thing. So when I went remote, there was no ocean anywhere. I had no large body of water and it was really uncentering and I found that one of the challenges but going for a walk in the afternoon watching the way the sun changes the color on red dirt it goes these beautiful purple hues and these deep reds that you can't even picture until you're there and just that connecting again that centering and taking the opportunity to go walking with friends so we'd walk with our First Nations colleagues we'd work with the new 
um, first year staff walking together was a really great way to kind of unwind and connect and focus on something that wasn't classroom or school based. So I highly recommend that get out in nature. That's one of my favorite things. I always turn to water or long drives that it seems because I also love long baths and long showers because you can't access technology when you're in the water. So yeah. you're not tempted to turn on the TV or scroll through your phone. And it's just this really calming, like kind of meditative um, place to be in. So I like coming up with my creative ideas in there, but also just that letting the water wash over you, letting the troubles wash away and just kind of freshening your mind and perspective again. And I think I wasn't really aware of these strategies so much when I was younger, but as you get older, you learn that they are strategies and they should be employed, deployed, sorry, often. And other ways that I do this is through my creative work. So I don't just focus on just school. School isn't my life and I don't think it should be anyone's full life and full identity. You're not just a teacher. You're not just an early childhood teacher. You're not just the art teacher. You're more than that. And so having a hobby outside of school, I find is super important, especially when you're in the remote context because it's a small community you see someone, no matter where you are in the field, you can sometimes feel like you're always on, but you also have these large amounts of time where you're not actually doing that much because there's no pubs, there's no movies, there's no shopping malls, there's no extra things. So you do have time on your hands and that time could be used to stress, to miss home, to stew on something that happened at school, or it can be used to focus your energy and, and create something new. So I enjoy writing and sketching and those kind of things as well. And I think one of the things for me is to find the positive in things. Mm. So I am someone to look for the silver lining and I am someone to practice gratitude and think about the things that I am thankful for, even on the tough days. So it can have been a very tough day. Things have gone wrong, but that person stepped up to support me. Or I might have had a really tough day, but those other kids, they didn't buy into that argument that was happening with the other two students. I'd trained them to concentrate on their own work and do their own thing. Like, yes, my strategy around those other kids had worked. So I think flipping that thinking is a really powerful tool and it can be hard for some people. It can actually be like this mental exercise where mm. you've actually got to stretch those muscles. But once you practice it more and more, it, it really opens it up and takes that weight off your shoulder and you don't have to live in this like negative space you can just yeah focus on you so they're kind of some of my well-being yeah strategies personally yeah. yeah let's talk about your creative ideas and the book writing that you know you've published lots of books um where is this stem from is this something that you've always been interested in doing is something that you've wanting to be uh, in a writer is that something that you thought of when you were a little girl i not so much i always dreamed of being a teacher, a psychologist or a marine biologist. How funny, <laughs> I'm a marine biologist. Yeah. Um, yeah, that was my favourite one actually. So, and then I realised that I get motion sick on anything. Oh uh, no, so that won't work. not an option for me. <laughs> so then I thought it would have made sense for me to be a marine biologist teacher or like a biology teacher, but I didn't fall that way. I also have a big passion for books and reading and have always been a reader. Um, but I wasn't a 
confident reader until about year three. I struggled. I remember being kept in class, wow. having to do extra work while the other kids went out because I didn't quite get whatever it was we were learning. So um, then I used to write little books like about fairies and things when I was little and then I didn't do much at all. I went to uni and I didn't think about writing or have a passion for writing. I didn't practice any writing. I didn't do journals. And it wasn't until I was pregnant with my daughter and had months of maternity leave before she was born. So because I was working as a remote outback teacher, you can't stay in community to have a child. And so you have to leave community early. And for me, it was to fly back to my family, to have all the family support around me. So I had to leave extra early just to be able to fly on a plane and, Mm. and get it all sorted so I had lots of time on my hands and as I was there it made me start thinking about um, the connection that I wanted my daughter to have so her father is a Jari Gidja man from Halls Creek in the Kimberley and my family live in Victoria and New South Wales so I wanted her to have this sense of who she was and where she fit no matter where she was living or what we were doing and so my partner at the time Carl came across we began writing this story together and thinking about how we could connect her to who she was culturally and location-wise. And so that's where it kind of started. And we didn't think it was going to be a big thing. It only got a contract to have 500 copies printed. And we are like, yes, that's enough for the Halls Creek kids. That's enough for our family. Perfect, yay. And then it went on to be a Children's Book Council of Australia on a book and that sparked the career people were interested in our stories and we kind of realized that we had these stories to share and co-writing together Carl has his First Nations remote upbringing perspective and he thinks that's his normal and he doesn't see anything interesting in it and I'm like whoa that story you just told that would be so good in a book and I don't think I have many stories to share but I tell one of my stories like no that bit there that's really interesting let's weave that in so working together as a team helps us identify like parts of the stories that will reach readers and both having worked with disengaged youth and young people we can kind of think about how to target low literacy how to weave in big themes without being wordy and those kind of different approaches so we didn't always dream of being writers at all but have ended up as writers and we've written early childhood books we've got two picture books at the moment with many more contracted so that's amazing and that's such yeah I'll definitely put them in the note as well um but that's so inspiring because you know you mentioned that you weren't so great with writing you know until up to grade three and now you are writing and and basically you're just telling your story through books and sharing that story um to you know a whole set of community and that's all it is isn't it it's just it, it doesn't really matter how or you know what your journey looks like it's about how you can work uh, and, and and look at you know your strength uh, look at ways yes. that you can tell your story and you've done that really really well so that's really exciting yeah and I think Dee for you and your listeners as well is that sometimes we don't actually even realize we've got a story in us yeah. but it's through the sharing through the collaboration through connecting with other people that we realize the value that we bring the stories that we have and 
and that we do have something worthwhile sharing. So yeah, and that's why I love podcasts. Like you know that every episode is about everyone's journey. Like everyone has their own unique journey, and it's about celebrating that the journey that you've undergone. It's to get where you are right now, and it's amazing. Sometimes we don't have the opportunity to pause for a minute and just consider the things that we've learned about ourselves as well. So yeah, yes. definitely. And let's talk about the remote teacher space that you've got. So you've got resources, you've got blogs, uh, you've got social media platform. Where did that come about and how did that develop? Yeah, so before I went remote, I'd done that holidays of just hunting for anything and there wasn't mm. much out there. I found, you know, academic research papers perhaps about Aboriginal education, but there wasn't much more. And when I first went remote, and that first year was pretty challenging finding my feet. I'd arrived without any handover. There were no scope and sequences, no unit plans. I was creating things from scratch. And I was like, well, there are other people just 300 kilometers away in a similar situation. And so I tried to start reaching out, but there wasn't anything formal or easy. And that's what sparked Teachers in Remote Communities Past, Present and Future Facebook group. So Lynette Gordon, Carl Merrison and I created this space for remote educators to connect with each other and share these resources because not only are you not alone in this new experience in the challenges that you face but you're also not alone in teaching similar cohorts of students so that school 300 kilometers down the road my transient kids were often moving between us mm. so you were literally teaching the same kids that i'm teaching and so sharing of those resources sharing of our strategies that's where the power is in this collaboration and so we created that space and I think we're coming up to 8,000 members now where people ask each other questions like, can I go remote with kids? Can I take my own young people? Um, the other day it was a pre-service teacher. He wanted to go remote, but his partner loves surfing and he's like, I can't go remote then. So it was like, hey, where are the best places to surf if you're going to be in a remote outback community? And there were some. So whatever it is, whether it's I'm about to teach early childhood, how do I do play-based learning in the remote context or how do I do on-country learning with young, like littlies or how do I teach ESLD kids in that context when their first language is not standard Australian English, it's Jaru or it's Creole or it's Aboriginal English. So we've got this space to collaborate and share. And then Carl and I saw the need for a little more and so the blogs came out of that. That's where we can do that long-form advice and support and strategies and links to other websites and the podcast was kind of a little bit of a drib drab uh, approach that we started just interviewing a few people that we knew around broom in 2019 2020 and it was really slow we we didn't really add to it and then the next year we'd interview like a few service providers like teach learn grow who take pre-service teachers to remote communities and girls from oz and other people and then this year, we put a post out on the Facebook group and there were so many people that said, yes, like, let's chat. And so we had principals, we had new grads out there, we had people with families who went out and everyone was sharing their experiences. And, and so that was exciting too. And then we started to offer courses and we're about to offer the free remote membership to help people decide remotes actually for them. So we've kind of just been adding layers of support as we go because with the high turnover, mm. we want people to feel prepared to go remote but also not feel alone when they're there. You don't have to leave. You have other people around you or you might leave 
because this remote community is not the one for you, but that doesn't mean you're a failure. That doesn't mean that remote outback teaching is not for you. It's just not the right fit. So we're trying to put those supports around people. So that's kind of where it, yeah, where it came from. But, but most importantly, I think, is we've got kids up there. So Carl's son is still in a remote community and our nieces and nephews are up in remote communities across the top end and we want the best teachers in front of them because we know teacher success equals student success. Mm. We need people who are staying for as long as they possibly can, their contract ideally, and students feeling safe to form those attachments and students feeling like they know their teachers. And so we just want to support people because teacher success means that our students will be achieving those outcomes. We're closing the gap. Most definitely, yeah. And it's uh, what you said about, you know, having a successful teacher is a successful student. I think that's definitely, you know, across the board in all education, um, you know, realms as well. So, uh, and it really comes down to teacher being, you know, comfortable with themselves and their teaching identity, building on that, that knowledge and strengthening, um, you know, their practices and pedagogies. Um, and yes. I think it's also really important for teachers to kind of know it's, it's okay to fail. It's okay if certain things doesn't work out. It's okay if you don't know certain things um, because every year you'll have different, you know, sets of children. And I think it will be a little bit more challenging in remote community. Like you said, there's a lot of movement around the community. Um, but, you know, it's about, you know, just acknowledging that, you know, you're trying the best you can, reset yes. yourself every day um, and know that you've got the support, reaching out and, you know, I think it's important as well. Um, yeah, I think Which is so important, like you said, for every context because the burnout yeah. across the teaching community now seems really heavy at the moment Yeah, and there are a lot of young grads that are coming in without having perhaps done prac or much prac during no. the lockdown years. So. Yes. All those people are supported. We've got so many communities uh, online and around. We all want your success. We all are in this together. We feel you. So, yeah, that idea that failure is okay, it doesn't make you a failure the next day. Like something didn't go right in your class, brush it off, learn from it. Next day is a fresh slate. Yeah, yeah, most definitely. And so just thinking about, you know, all the work that you've done with your writing and also with the remote teacher, what learnings have you encountered about yourself yes um so i think when i was a young pre-service teacher i'd never envisioned any of this so i wasn't going to be a writer i definitely was not going to be a remote outback teacher this was not the direction that my life was going but i learned quickly to be resilient and to adapt and i've taken that into all my contexts so having taught kindy having taught year 12 I've taught out of area, so I'm English and humanities trained, but I've taught maths, ICT. I've taught PE on occasion, and as a casual teacher, I've literally taught everything on a session-by-session -session basis. So being adaptable, resilient, willing to go with the flow, so not every day, not every lesson is going to go as you imagined or planned it. And I think just the importance of having and creating that strong team around you. Mm -hmm. And like I said earlier, that includes the gardener, that includes the canteen person because we are all there for the same reason. We're all there because we value kids. We want to create this safe learning environment for kids. That's what the canteen people are doing. That's what the gardener is doing. We're all creating that safe learning space. So I think valuing what everyone brings to the table also helps you along the way too because if I ever needed like I don't know a shovel to do a learning activity 
The gardener was onto it because we'd had this relationship. If I ever needed like some sandwiches made for an excursion or whatever, you've got that connection. We're all working together. So I think some of the biggest learnings are be adaptable and resilient as you go. And if things feel uncomfortable, we're pushing through it. We're seeing where our boundaries are and where we're headed and also to work as a team. And I do that in the books that we create and I do that in my teaching. So they're probably the two biggest learnings. Yeah. Now, in one of your um, podcasts uh, with John Bray, you mentioned, which I love, I actually a post-it note on my, uh, on my desk. Yeah. It says one of the things that you've learned was that, and of something that uh, Carl mentioned, that you were listening but not hearing. And oh, I really yes. like that. It's such a powerful thing because we often think that, we're, yep, we're nodding, we're processing it, but we're not hearing it. And we're not doing what we are supposed to be hearing. Do you want to talk a little bit about that? Yes. So from my Western culture and Western way of being, we spend a lot of time talking and being the talker. And when we interact with other people, we spend half the time of this interaction thinking, okay, what am I going to say next? How am I going to respond? What am I going to do? How will this make me you know, contribute to the conversation here? And our way of communicating is that we bump on top of each other and go, oh, yeah, and I agree, and then, and this, and that. And working in remote outback communities with First Nations educators and families and communities, I had to learn that it's okay to have quiet space in a conversation and that time is okay in a conversation and to really listen deeply. And like you said before, it's I could have been hearing things but not hearing what they were actually saying, intending or meaning. So you're not actually hearing it. You're listening but you're not hearing what I'm sharing. And so that took me quite a long time to learn, including practising now and <laughs> continuing to learn this. And it's about spending the time and giving the time and not worrying how you're going to contribute, not worrying about what's happening next or how you look really listening to what's being said and when we're coming from a different cultural perspective when we're seeing through things through a different lens this becomes extra important because we assume that what we're saying or what we're receiving is what it is but that's not always what's intended from the different cultural lens or the different background lens so that was something interesting and for your listeners across different contexts we all work with multicultural clients now. Our young people and families are more diverse and more rich than they've ever been before. So being aware that the way we hear things and the way we perceive things isn't the only way and isn't the only way that should be seen or perceived, that we can be learners through this deep, active listening as well. I yeah. love it because in early childhood uh, realm, we speak about pedagogy of listening and so it's really listening to children in this context um, and not jumping in and making assumption that you know we as adults we've got all this knowledge we kind of go oh yes yep i can fix that for you straight away but really just pausing um, and just wait for the right moment and only when you know if it's intended to 
be able to step in. And I think that's such a powerful tool that in any context, even when, you know, speaking to someone or, you know, we're actually really listening and just allowing that pause moment. It's such an uncomfortable thing, isn't it? Like you said, you know, we, we're constantly <laughs> like, yeah. And, and also media as well. You're talking about, you know, on Facebook or Instagram, things are really fast paced. Yes. So, you know, we live in a world where we expect things to be immediate and time. Everyone's just rushing all the time. But when we're actually needing to sit still, it becomes really tricky. And so when it comes to working with, like you said, you know, Aboriginal communities or, you know, with children or young people who have gone through trauma, um, that you actually just need to sit with them. You know, sometimes it's just sitting next to them. And that's so powerful in itself. Yeah. Yeah, right. Yes, but I love what you also said about that it's a fast-paced world with technology everywhere because most of your listeners will understand that as well with kids coming in constantly thinking about a phone or a TV show or they're coming in with all this extra stuff, but they're not also coming in as empty vessels. They're coming in with lived outside experiences as well. So giving them the space that you do in early childhood to be children, to have ideas and to develop this themselves with the space that you provide by giving them that think time, by giving them that time to be listened to, to that time to process their ideas is really powerful. And that kind of comes into that play-based idea in early childhood too, doesn't it? That they, they have that freedom to express themselves without us going, hands up if you know ABC all the time mm -hmm. or, you know, asking the questions all the time. It's okay to just let them sit, be, create, explore and, yeah. We don't always have to go, oh, what are you doing here? Like, you're, you're, you're playing with the frying pan. What are you doing? Like, we don't always have to have these conversations around it. Silence is beautiful too. Yeah, most definitely. Mm -hmm. Well, we're towards the end of the podcast. Um, one question to finish off. One advice that you would tell your beginning teacher self from that very beginning day, perhaps the first day of the first year when you started off in the, um, in the sector, education sector, what would that be? I think I would have given myself my mantras sooner because they do just really center and help you through everything. But another thing that I think I would have made myself, my early career self do is create a manifest, which is where you list out what your values are as an educator, what you hope to be as an educator, how you want children to feel. And by doing that, it kind of frees you up to think about what you'll say yes to and what you'll say no to. And a lot of my career, I've had amazing opportunities and I've done amazing, like had the opportunity to do amazing things. Like I've been speech and debating coordinator. I've been head of learning. I've had these opportunities to do amazing things, but it's through having that manifest, that clarity around who you are as a teacher and where you're trying to head that you can have the freedom to say yes to things and the freedom to say no to things. And I think that saying no, especially as early career teachers, is really important too. So I would have, number one, given myself mantras. Number two, thought clearly about who I wanted to be as a teacher through a manifest. And yeah, I think that that might have been it. Yeah. I, I completely relate to um, what you said about having boundaries and saying no. I think, as, and especially yes. for beginner teachers as well, you're, you're constantly, you're like so excited and passionate, you know, when you, <laughs> you know, begin into the sector. But I guess 
you know, knowing that, all right, what your limitations are. Um, and yeah, I, I remember, I think I was definitely the yes man saying yes to all opportunities and feeling completely burned out and overwhelmed because it's such a new space to be working in. Uh, and then yet you're, you're bombarded with all of this knowledge and information that you need to process. Definitely. Mm. Yeah. yeah. Um, I like, I've got one more question. What would you say to someone who has this burning urge, perhaps this little urge of, you know, wanting or that curiosity of wanting to work in a remote community? What would you say to this person? I would say do it. It's life changing. (laughs) I encourage you wholeheartedly to take the jump. And I, I think you take the jump with the awareness and the strategies for challenges you might face, but you open yourself up to a world of possibility, to a world of relationships, to knowledge, to skills that perhaps you're unlike, less likely to get in a mainstream context. And it really fast tracks this knowledge and these relationships and these skills. So wholeheartedly, yes, give it a shot. Well, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. It's just been amazing to have a chat with you. Thank you. Thank you so much, Dee, for having me. Thanks. Thank you for listening to Teaching Journey Podcast, Connecting Through Early Education. If you like our episodes and have any feedback or we would like to share your teaching journey with us, we'd love to hear from you. And you can contact us by following our Instagram page by searching Teaching Journey Podcast. Please see the episode show notes for links to resources of our guest speakers.